right, everybody. Welcome to Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm the romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And guys, as a very special Valentine's Day treat for you, we have author Ruby Lang with us. Hello. Yay. Yay. Thanks so much for coming down and and hanging out with us here on Valentine's Day. Well, thank you for having me on Valentine's Day. That came out wrong, didn't it? <laughs> Okay. Already, I'll edit. I'll edit. Yeah, no, yeah. You do. You do. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> but so Valentine's Day as a romance author, are you into it? Not into it? How do you feel about Valentine's Day in general? I am actually. I like Valentine's Day. Um, I'm all for you know. I am all for any sort of holiday that involves dessert, basically. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I know that it is a time when romance authors do endure. Um, slings and arrows from newspapers that do not understand our genre. But at the same time, I think we do go into it with a certain amount of um, rolling up our sleeves enjoyment and getting to, um, you know, kick some ass, <laughs> you know, tell people what we're really about. So I, I think there is a little bit of, of, of enjoyment sometimes. For me, at least. I'm not going to speak for all of Romancelandia because obviously I can't because there is a lot of them. Hi. <laughs> so I'm assuming there's like a, a, a bump in interest and in sales even during Valentine's Day. Do you know that to be a fact or is that? There's interest. I mean, there is interest in in just getting romantic stuff. And I think that there are definitely the people who don't know pay attention to it the rest of the year and then they decide, okay, now is the time to get something um, romantically themed for somebody. And then they go out and then there are, you know, magazine articles and newspaper articles and blog articles about it. And and very often it's um, – and probably there is some sort of bump in sales. I don't know about that personally. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, I have definitely talked to people who have been like, okay, now I'm going to go out and buy your book for my wife – um, because it's that time of year and I'm like, yeah, okay. I've been writing these for years now. <laughs> yeah. But it's never a bad time to buy a no. romance novel for your wife. No, please do it. Please. Yeah. Often. Yes. Buy often. <laughs> buy often. <laughs> buy early. <laughs> buy often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That I, I do feel like, you know, there ha there feels like there has been a change in the culture as far as like respecting romance novels and I feel like them being positioned a little bit differently. Do you agree or disagree? Because you've been in the game for a while. Yeah. Um like a while. <laughs> it's been maybe five or six years. But I now I feel all jaded about it. Um but yes, there has been <laughs> for there, any particular no. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's, you know, I'm like pulling out a cigarette in the studio here. And, and oh, yeah. Just like, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Um, it has changed a lot. I think that there are, it just, it has become more mainstream. Partly, you know, I do actually see romance novels in bookstores a lot more often now, indie bookstores. You know, the resurgence of the rom-com is, is definitely um, one reason but I think that it's just easier for us to talk about it. I think that we have, you know, gotten to the point where a lot of writers, for instance, are just saying, this is what we do. I don't care. Try, take me, you know, like, I don't care what you do to me um, because I can out talk you and outwrite you any day of the week. Wow, I'm sounding really militant. But anyway. Um, <laughs> the cigarette's not helping. <laughs> it's adding a lot of, yeah, it's great. She's ashing in my water cup. 
(laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, you know, I do feel like we just see more of it in culture. There's just more of an acceptance of, of, of just the idea that, hey, romantic relationships, not something to necessarily be sneered at. You know, it is, it's interesting, it's valid, it's a form of fiction that, you know, people want to see themselves in too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, that's my perception. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because I'm, I'm a little skewed now just because of obviously doing this, this podcast. But I, I do think the fact that, that like, people are interested in this podcast shows a lot of the, you know, resurgence and and just people understanding that it's a valid thing. I mean, all the, all the romance podcasts that are popular now, it's because people are searching for that stuff. They, they want to find like-minded people and they want to know what's the next book. And it is looked at as something that is new and interesting, even though, you know, it's been around for for so, so long, Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of things like that. When you look at, quote unquote, kind of uh, nerd or geek culture, that stuff came into the mainstream fairly recently too. And it's now you see people on the subway reading graphic novels. When I was a kid, you didn't read a graphic novel on the, on the subway or on the bus. It's like you were asking to be targeted. Now it's literature. And the same thing with romance is that uh, young people can have a romance novel out and they're not looked at as, why are you reading that? That's for that's for aunts, that's for grandmas, that's for this, that, whatever you wanted to peg people with. I think it's great because I love them. I mean, it just is such mm-hmm. a part of like what I do now, which is read romance. And it's, uh, it's such a positive thing in my life, which I, I love. One of us. Yeah. One of us. Yeah, and I think that your point about it being like geek culture, it is very much a fandom culture. It's, it's one where, you know, the the readers become writers and where there is so much interaction. And, um, and I, and I think sometimes we don't think of it in those terms because, you know, we think, Oh, geek culture is for the boys, you know, Mm. and that's a mistake. This is, this is a kind of geek culture, you know? So, yeah. Did you grow up in like a romance reading household? Were you stealing off someone's bedside table or? Uh, No, I was a really opportunistic sort of reader as I think a lot of people are you so I um so I think I the first romance books I read were like from a garage sale possibly um and and I read them and I thought oh this is really um the first one I read I do remember um was um Anne Stewart's Night of the Phantom and if you know anything about Anne Stewart she is bananas (laughs) bananas it was really and so I thought wow this is whoa and but then I also read a few other category category romances which I probably you know this are kind of the same kind of thing that I would read today um you know one was about like a computer programmer who was um at a secret correspondence with uh somebody on the internet and um it turned out to be her boss. Of course, of course, yes. it always turns out to be your, your mm, boss, right? Yeah. And and this is like in the 90s, you know, like I didn't even know the internet existed, but it was like a kind of like they did this online. Um, and I don't remember the title of this one, unfortunately, but the only reason I remember the Ann Stewart one is because later on in my second period of reading romance, like I sort of, I read those books and then I sort of wandered off into literary fiction and then came back 
like maybe like 10 years ago, I encountered this book again at the New York Public Library. Like I was just like going through all the romance novels I could read. And I thought, okay, well, here's here's Anne Stewart. Nice name. Open the book. Start reading it. This seems really familiar. And then, oh, my God, it was the book that, you know, that I read like 20 years ago. Am I doing math correctly? I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, it was it was amazing. I was just like, this is this is it. It's the same totally fucked up plot. Yeah. What was, do you remember, like, what was the plot? (laughs) Are you able to even, oh uh, my God. Okay. Succinctly. It's amazing. So it's, it's got very big Beauty and the Beast vibes. It's Mm. like this woman goes to meet this reclusive architect in the deep south. And reclusive architect. Yes. (laughs) Architecture is very difficult to do when you're out in public. (laughs) He's, he's got this, ginormous mansion that is just a hodgepodge of different periods and she gets lost in it because she's trying to help her father who is being blackmailed by the reclusive architect Mm -hmm. and um and he basically kidnaps her um like he holds her in his house which is outfitted almost completely with cameras you know (laughs) of course it's like a sliver situation exactly (laughs) and so you know, so she's trapped in the house and he's monitoring her and slowly following in love with her, of course. You know, it's through just monitoring her? Yes. That's <laughs> amazing. I'm kind of really into this book <laughs> right now. We I might know. have to do it and have yeah. you come back for her. I will send you the I will send you even it's in the New York Public Library <laughs> system. You can get it online. God bless the New York Public Library. Yeah. Um yes, it absolutely. is so bananas like i'm not even i'm just scratching the surface there's like christian fundamentalists involved there's like oh the architect is um the reason why he's reclusive is because he he is and i don't know how like this is so this is so bananas he is half like sort of normal and then half of him there's some sort of birthmark that bisects his whole entire body wow but it's a birthmark Something okay. like that. I know, I know. It, it's and and so I'm like, is this about race? You know? <laughs> of course. Oh god. Because, yeah, yeah, I know, right? And so so I'm like, okay, I don't know about this. This is the second time around yeah. I read this. I was like, what is going on here? So I'm just like, okay, this is even more nuts than I remember. Are there secret passageways in this mansion? There are so many secret okay, passageways. Okay, so Slam dunk. This got to be read because I love I love secret places. It is really disturbing too. Um, just for the record, so like content warnings for everybody out there. Um, you know, email me anyway. (laughs) I feel like anything before two thousand, it's just there was really all bets are off. Yes, yeah, yes, definitely. Um, so you said you came back to romance about ten years ago, but were you reading more like bonkers genre, or Um, just sort of whatever was there? So I so I um went to school for for literary criticism and English literature. So after that, I started reading, you know, serious books about serious things, Mm -hmm. of course. And also snuck read a lot of, I also uh, enjoyed that whole period of chiclet secretly too. Um, That was a great time for chiclet. It was so good. Yeah. Yeah. I read all the Sophie Kinsella and and Jane Green and and Bridget Jones, you know, all that stuff. Bridget Jones. Like, I don't think Bridget Jones gets the... Um, accolades that it should for like I th- I feel like I hear it a lot for female authors like it started them writing or started them realizing that they could write 
not that that was necessarily what you were saying, but like in general, I feel like it was a really big moment. It was a watershed that yes, nobody, t- or maybe people talk about it. and I'm missing it, but I feel like it's it was it was a big deal for the culture. Mm-hmm. I lived for that book, mm-hmm. loved it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I I remember like doing my grad school stuff, and then also just like sneak reading it on the side and being like, this is so much more interesting than what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I put that aside you know, a lot of the time. And, and then eventually it was just like, you know what? I think I actually like this more than what I've been. I still like literary fiction. Okay. This is not to like, you know, dump on any other genres or anything like this. But, but the thing is, you know, when you're reading literary fiction and talking to people in that sort of circle, you, it's, it has been hard up until now to, to, to say, I also read this other stuff, you know, and, so anyway, um, anyway, I just I just really didn't come back into it um, until like the two thousand tens, yeah, the two thousand tens. That's when I started reading again. So, was there a specific one that brought you back? Oh, um, so I again contact content warnings <laughs> here. Um, so I read um, Lord of Scoundrels by mm-hmm. Loretta Chase. Um, Maybe it was like two years after I had, or a year after I had my daughter. And I think like I was going through some things at this time. And so I read it and then I promptly read it again about like 30 times in a <laughs> row, you know? And so I was like, wow, this book is probably the last book I'm ever going to read. <laughs> because I was just like, this is how I'm coping now by reading this book over and over again. This, And then I also read some Jennifer Cruzy, um, like the Cinderella deal and Bet Me. And, and those also helped me cope with my life a lot. And, and then after that, it was just like, you know what? I really like this. And I am a, better person now when I'm reading these. So I think I'm just going to keep doing this. And wow. that was, that was the set. That was the second coming of romance for me. Lord of Scoundrels. We haven't read that for the podcast. We right? have not. We need to. It's a, it's a, it's a great book. Is it? I read it, I think at the wrong time and I listened to it, which I don't normally do uh-huh. with books and I didn't get it. And then I just read it like normal, like on a Kindle. And then I was like, oh, wait, no. Yeah, I missed so much. It is very engaging. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, here's the woman who's read it like 30 times I was in a row. Say, <laughs> if, I, like, if, if you've read it 30 times, I can read it once, I'm yes. sure. <laughs> and get something from it. Yeah. Who, what's the hero? The heroine's Jessica. The hero Jessica. is... Uh, Dane. Dane. Oh, it's so a great good. name for a hero. She calls him Beelzebub. So then I was just kept yes. thinking Beelzebub. But I'm like, I know that's not his real name. Oh, cause is he a rake? Is he? He's a, like the a devil. Scandal? Yeah, he. It's so we could just talk about the Lord of Scandals, but he we like could. we could sets well, he, himself up as being this like devilish, this awful yeah. person, and he thinks he's so ugly. But like, of course, she thinks he's beautiful. She loves him, and it's about them. Like, she constantly outsmarts him. The first oh, time that she meets him. Um, he says, don't you know I eat little girls like you for breakfast? And she's like, yeah, try me. Wow. She was like, yeah. don't make promises you can't keep, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> I love a heroine that can just throw back. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's she's great. She, yeah. Um, so then what made you want to do the leap to, like, go on the other side and start writing? Because you were a writer. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd been writing um, other stuff. And then um, 
my husband said to me, you know what, you, you're really talking about this a lot, you know, and you're really, this seems to really engage you and you seem to be excited by this. So why don't you try writing a, a romance novel? And I said, um, wow, that is an act. That is a really good idea. And that was, that was basically it. He also gave me the, fir- the idea for my first book, which was, you know, he said, you know, in all of these romantic comedies that we watch, like, why is the guy with the allergies always like the one who's cast off, basically? And my first book was called Acute Reactions, and it was about a, a man who falls in love with his allergist. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. Love that. So yeah. That is so awesome. That is so true. That is such a great little inversion of that. Because you do, I and mean, you notice that the people in a lot of the rom coms, especially in the 90s, the people that get left are not necessarily cads or bad people. They just have like things like that, like allergies or, you know, they're agoraphobic or something where it's like, well, that this precludes you from having love. Yeah, I think like Sleepless in Seattle has this one where, um, you know, Meg Ryan's character, she's she's engaged to somebody else. And he and what what do they order? They order they both order like lettuce and tomato sandwiches like. Oof. That yeah, right. You had to order that. Yeah, and hers is like whole wheat, and he is I, I don't know allergic to to whole wheat or something. I don't know exactly the details. And they get their lunch orders mixed up, and you think, oh, that's like that's pretty classic, you know, that's cute. And then you and then you know later on, he's like, I can't eat strawberries. I puff up like a like a like a giant strawberry. You know, it's mm. it's. It's really amazing how much we just sort of take that for granted um, in in art culture, like just little, little things. Um, And so anyway, I I thought that was kind of funny. And also, I've had a lot of allergy shots in my life. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I could I could write that. So you have a deep (laughs) knowledge of of (laughs) of being um, allergic. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Is there anything in the in the recording studio that you're allergic to that you can see Um, that is visible to my eye? (laughs) Yeah. No, did you know, listeners, there is a large penguin in this studio. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. A large stuffed penguin. You could take a picture with it after I you will. <laughs> yes. He just hangs out. Yeah. He, he likes to watch. <laughs> I have no known allergies to penguins. Thank Good. goodness. I know. Yeah. Uh, what is your, like, I always love to know what people's, like, writing process is. So, like, how, like from, like, a germ of an idea, do you, like, outline? Do you just... Um, so I try to outline, um, and then halfway through the outline, I get really impatient, and then I am like, I just, I'm just going to start writing now. <laughs> Screw you, outline, you know, and then I start writing, and then I wish that I'd outlined better, <laughs> <laughs> and then I try to outline a little bit more. Um, sometimes it changes around a little bit. Like, the last two books uh, in my series um, – I had to write synopses for them, for the publisher. And that actually really helped me. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it this time. Why would I do something (laughs) that is actually useful and good for me? Um, So, and and that actually really helped me um, write these a little bit more quickly than I usually do. Um, uh, The next book is House Rules. And that was one of the ones that I wrote a synopsis for first. And that was actually really great for me. And I, and I'm not learning this lesson on air. I'm telling you, (laughs) I'm not learning any lessons at all. Um, but, uh, so there's a lot of, uh, if, in case you didn't notice, there's a lot of hand wringing involved. Um, and, and I, um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a slower writer, so you know, uh, one day I'll get this down. Well, that's funny because we did Playing House for the podcast. We loved it, mm-hmm. but I feel like Playing House, and then the next one was Open House. Open House. I feel like those came out like really close together. Yeah. So I I wrote these books in this space, like all three of the books in the Uptown series, um, in the space of about. A year and a half, I would say. See, That's that makes quick. me feel like you're not slow. Yeah. At least, I mean, like, the release of them is not slow, but it might <laughs> seem like a, a longer process for you because you're the one doing it. But for me, I was like, oh, wow, three already. It feels like it feels like we a book just... every six months seems very speedy. Yeah, it feels like we just read the first one. They're really short. <laughs> I mean, that helps. <laughs> um, the last books that I wrote, um, the last series is called Practice Perfect. Those, I think they took a year apiece. Okay. Um, and they're longer though. They're like the playing house is only about thirty thousand, a little over thirty thousand, and then open house and house rules are about forty-seven each, um, which is you know still novella territory. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know what what draws you to the novella as a form? Oh, I love them. I have to say, I I am also a, a, I used to be a short story writer too. And um, I love really small – I love portraiture, honestly. I love characters and just sort of taking one moment in their lives, a a really significant one for for all of the characters, of course, and and just sort of making you feel like there's stuff out of this picture but still just concentrating on that point. Um, I love reading novellas too. I have to say, like some, I am also. I also used to be an editor, so a lot of the time I look at a book and I say, "This was great. Could have been twenty thousand words shorter," <laughs> um, you know. And and I think that about a lot of them. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, everybody. Um, and and I Do know you that name names. No, I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> I'll edit them out. <laughs> just whisper them into my <laughs> ear. We're going to talk about this later, but. But I, I do tend to feel this way about kind of a lot of things, unfortunately. So this is just my natural tendency. I mm. am also a very small person. Maybe this is something to do with, like, I want to make the world a little bit more like me. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do just love, I, I do love creating things where you can feel the larger world, but it's like one, that, that moment. I like finding that moment and talking about that moment. Yeah, because there's sometimes when you read a book, they're hitting that same thing multiple times where it's not necessarily uninteresting, but it's trod territory. And I think when we read your book, that was one of the things that that resonated with me was how economical it was and how you knew the characters just from that short of a story. And yeah, I, that's what I really, really loved about it is that you didn't have to go into these long passages, which can be entertaining. But to me, I'm the same way as you. Most things have so much fat on them that could easily be trimmed. And sometimes I'm willing to go along for the ride. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I'm like, oh, man, that could have been so much better if it was just a little bit more concise. I do find when I read things, too, 
I'll, I'll love certain parts of them and then some parts I will loathe. And so when people say, what was your opinion of this thing? And it's like, I don't know. It was so long that it, I actually had several opinions by this point and it's like a hundred years later, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, maybe I also just don't have the attention span for something that long. I don't know, but, but I do like the, I do tend to think that things could be shorter. And I love when you said portraiture, uh, and you said it correctly because I can't speak because I'm a marble mouth. But <laughs> portraiture is such a perfect way to put that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> okay. we did. We loved it. Yeah. Um, what are other like? Do you want to shout out any novellas that you're particularly? I don't want to put you on the spot. Oh, um, let me see. I think that people have talked about this one a lot. Um, uh, Cecilia Grant's uh, "Christmas Gone Perfectly Wrong" mm-hmm. is. It's, it's amazing. It's, you know, it's, and I, I, I think I started this one just sort of going, I don't know, <laughs> uh, Christmas. I don't care about Christmas. Who cares? About, like a lot of people care about Christmas. Yeah. It's not me. It's a big deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, it starts out the characters, you know, sort of, it, it's almost like Gothic starting out a woman walking um, on a road in the rain, a man comes upon her and, you know, and then after that I was like, Oh my God, God, this is, I don't know where this is going. And then it turned out it's, it's actually just a novella and, and, and it has, it went in so many different directions and it is, is perfect and kind hearted and wonderful. It's a uh, Regency historical. And, um, basically it's, a, a sort of road trip, uh, one bed, I'm going to toss out all the tropes, um, <laughs> um, opposites attract, um, Book and it, it is so perfectly well done. Um, let me see. Emma Berry and Genevieve Turner's A Midnight Feast. That is really great. It is part of their um, Fly Me to the Moon series, um, which is uh, sort of, it's set, the whole series is spe- set during the space race, um, which oh, cool. I think is such a rich setting. It's so, you know, like, NASA astronauts and that whole um, mid-century feel, you know, they're you know, people smoking their cigarettes and reading their newspapers and, you know, <laughs> you know, people with like perfectly quaffed hair. And it, 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 and so this is about um, a sort of a, a, an estranged husband and wife who finally who end up together at Thanksgiving. And I don't know, because of various reasons, Every single member of their family and all the people they invited can't come, so they're trapped together, mm. you know, and they must reconcile their differences. Can they do it? Who knows? It's a romance novel. Probably yes. <laughs> but, you know, and it's, it's, it's so well written and so good. Um, let me see. What else is there? Oh, I'm, oh, there's this one that I read kind of recently, uh, Savannah J. Frierson. I don't know how to pronounce anybody's names. Sorry, Miss. But you're Harsh. so good at remembering <laughs> titles. I'd be like, you. there's one with like the hawk <laughs> and it's Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've forgotten the title of this one, but oh. it is a, it, I think it's a novelette um, actually. So it's like under 20,000 20, words. I don't know exactly. Um, and it's, a, it's also a Christmas one. So if you're looking this up, Savannah J. Frierson, I think that's how it's pronounced. I only whisper your name, you know, quietly to myself. I never say these things out loud. <laughs> so, um, and it's about a man and a woman who once had a 
one night stand and they encounter each other again on an airplane and awkward. Um, and, you know, he was uh, kind of interested in her and she sort of ran away the next uh, morning um, and they again are trapped together. This is like a theme here. I know. <laughs> I was going to say we're going to ask... ask you what your favorite tropes were, but I think I know. <laughs> yeah, we're getting we're getting a good <laughs> portrait of it. This is actually a really good thing in a novella, though. I think too. Like there are certain things that lend themselves to the short form. It helps. I like people have talked about this before, but it it sometimes does help if if there is some sort of history between the characters because then you don't have to like go into the oh hi. Hello, how are you? We are meeting. We are shaking hands. Are we attracted to each other? Each other? Maybe, maybe not. You know, like, there's a lot of prelude Mm -hmm. to romantic relationships, and sometimes you don't have space for that in a novella. And so sometimes it helps if if everybody's already shaken hands or else other things. (laughs) So, you know... um, uh, Anyway, yes, yeah, so uh, this also goes into a one bed situation, and it's it's so these are all so well written, um, and and lovely, and just um, yeah, the portraiture thing again. It's it's you catch them right at that that moment, and it's is perfect. Yeah, like two people on a plane, yeah. and you can just see like if you did make a portrait of it, it's like are they looking at each other or trying not to look at each other? Right, like <laughs> those are the kind of things when you see an image like that. It, the meaning could be so much with just that one image. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm already picturing it in my yes, head. I love it's that. So good. Um, yeah. So obviously one bed trope you love, I'm assuming that is also a trope Aaron loves. What are some of your other favorites? Oh my gosh. I love enemies to lovers. Love it. Love, you know, the sparks flying and, and the banter. I love back and forth. Um, I love, oh, this is like, one that I don't get to see as often, especially in contemporary, but sometimes you do. And it's like, you know, the masquerade where people, you know, meet somewhere. Oh. They don't know what each other's faces exactly look like. And then and then later on they meet again and they don't necessarily recognize each other. Love that. I love <laughs> it because we know we're like, oh, my God, don't you see it? Yeah. Just a mask. That would be hard to do as a contemporary. It's, you know who has done this and who, who wrote a novella about it? Beverly Jenkins, One Masked Night. So mm. good. Oh, my God. Who knew, like, who knew Beverly Jenkins wrote contemporary, but she writes it so well. And, um, yeah, this one was, like, they go to a masquerade ball. She's dressed, like, she has a, the, the heroine has a um, Hollywood costumer um, cousin who puts her in, like, a, she looks like Storm, you know. Oh, cool, comic book Storm. I know. I <laughs> now know. is this Mohawk Storm or like eighties Mohawk Storm or big flowing? I think it's big flowing. Okay. Mohawk Storm. Yeah, and and you know, and then it turns out like she's assigned to like this arson investigation team because she's also extremely cool with like a cop who's like in this long leather jacket who is also extremely cool and also happened to be at a masquerade. We're not saying which one. Like, <laughs> oh, hmm. And, and it, it, is, it was great. I can't believe I didn't remember to bring that up with the novellas, but my God, look this one up. One Masked Night, that was what it was called, yes. Like, I'm going to learn that the title is completely wrong yeah. now. Beverly Jenkins, though, just oh go to her. I mean, any Beverly Jenkins, you're not going to be upset. But yeah, I think if you go to her Goodreads, masked something. Yeah, if yeah. not one mask night, but it has to be that. That's a really good title. Yeah, it's a great title. Yeah, yeah. If it's not rebrand. Yeah. 
Re-release. If it's not Miss Bev, we got a title for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, what drew you to writing contemporaries mostly? Because, like, I know, like, we're we're big fans. I think all three of us, obviously, of our Regency and stuff like that. And contemporaries always do have that issue where there are. It's hard to keep people apart uh, because we have so much freedom nowadays. Most of us. Uh, are lucky to have enough freedom to be like, I want to date you. Let's date. So there is like an extra level of difficulty for contemporaries. So what drew you to that? Um, well, number one, I think I am pretty lazy when it comes to researching historical stuff. Um, <laughs> so that is, uh, that is maybe the big thing. I am very interested in like fantasy and science fiction settings. Um, and, and, you know, one day, one day, um, I will try to do that. Uh, but I think the thing is that a lot of what I think are my strengths, strengths seem to be rooted in, like, contemporary settings, too. I'm, you know, it's hard to, I feel like it's very hard to write jokes if you're going to do a fantasy thing. Um, I like jokes, you know, that's <laughs> the thing. I like, I, I really like having jokes in in books um then the other thing is you know all my story ideas sort of came out that way you know um like the very the the acute reactions you know the the allergy thing well you know you can have allergy shots you know in in your medieval i guess yeah. you know or else it's in your leeches pr- sure yeah. exactly <laughs> they like think the there's stuff. little demons inside <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I also, there's also, there's the familiarity. Um, and I am also very interested in just, you know, seeing characters who are, who are, you know, for instance, I am seeing, interested in seeing Asian characters in contemporaries. That's the other thing. I was just like, this was something that I would actively look for, um, when I was reading when I really started, you know, reading books again, reading romance books again. So, um, I, I said, you know, I, I have read these excellent books. I would like to see more excellent books. Maybe I can write one. I don't know. We'll mm-hmm. see. So, um, that was, that was another thing. Um, you know, see yourself in the world. I wanted to see myself in the world a little bit more often. Yeah. That's awesome. What what is your take on if you want to speak about this if, if you don't want to but like historical accuracy in novels and things because I know that's like a big thing that people talk about where one 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 side says it has to be historically accurate because it's a historical but then the other side says but it's also fantasy and it's fiction so you can create the history that you want and it can still be as valid like, what, do you have an opinion on that? Oh, I have opinions. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I shouldn't I even ask that. Of course you have. You're like, no, <laughs> whatever people want to think. Yeah. It's so interesting to me because, you know, as a contemporary writer, people assume that I don't, you know, create the world in a lot of ways. But I am world building, you know, and that is the thing about writing. You have to do it no matter which genre you're, you're writing in. Um. The thing about, say, like a historical writing historicals is that you are writing now and um, you you don't actually know exactly what was happening 
uh, back then. Even if we can look at the historical record, it is a historical record that is written by people who mm-hmm. are also flawed and biased. The other thing is a lot of, I'm especially going to talk about Regency because I feel like this is the one where people really feel like they have a lot of expertise. Um, because because there are so many books set in the Regency and because I think that we do in a lot of ways feel like there's this shared world. Like I can talk about getting ices at Gunther's, you know, or else eating lobster patties or going to Almax, you know, and, and people will, if people who read Regencies will know what I'm talking about because this all, okay, Almax is real and mm-hmm. probably Gunther's too. Um, I don't know what lobster patties are. I imagine they're like crab cakes, whatever. But, you know, it's like we think that we know this world. And and so when somebody makes up the rules, somebody back then, probably Georgette Hare, made up the rules. You know, we're like, okay, I guess those are the rules. I guess this is actually historically accurate, you know, um, and, and and this is how we're just going to do it. And anybody who sort of deviates from that is automatically wrong. You know, she was writing in what the 1950s. She didn't know. She made up half the slang. You know, it's it's. We don't know. We don't know exactly what it was happening back then, and the groups who are most likely to be, you know, affected. You know, when we when we say, oh, there were no black people in Regency England, that's not true. First of all, because you know, there were. <laughs> there were um but the other thing is that we are just looking at like this woman who was writing in the 1950s who actually had a black person i should mention in one of her books you know he was a boxer um you know as a minor character but like you know, we we we're making it up we're making it up and it's based on something that's made up and and then we're calling it accurate and and that really bothers me you know it bothers me when people say Oh, two a man and a woman who were not married could not be left in a room together because otherwise they'd have to get married right after that. That's not always true, you know? So um yeah, here I am just ranting. But basically, so I'm not on the side of the people who say historical accuracy, basically, because they don't know. They don't know and and people who have researched can tell them until they're blue in the face what actually you know, has happened and, and they still sort of stick to it because that is the fictive world they believe in. It's so, yeah. Cause in, like you said, it's fictive, but yeah. it's, it's has now become fact in a weird way. In a and weird that, way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had this, uh, I had a college professor and he said one, one thing that really stuck with me, uh, it was like one of the only classes that wasn't taught by a TA when I was in college. <laughs> so <laughs> you went to a very big school. Yes. I went to Penn state. So we, uh, he was talking about like fiction in history, in, in history and things like that. And he said, pretty much everything is fiction. There's no real thing as fact, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at the world as a, as a pie, mm-hmm. people who wrote the history books tasted a slice of that pie. That does not mean that the whole pie tasted that way. It depends on who tasted it. So that really stuck with me because I like pie, <laughs> and uh, that resonated with me as because I was like, oh, yeah, I've tasted pie, but I don't know how that pie would taste if you ate it or if Aaron ate it or if producer Patty ate it. I'm not sure what that's going to taste like. So we can't look at history as everything tastes like strawberry pie that I know. 
And I think that's a way to look at it. And I've always thought of that. So I think if you're telling a story and you take some, and you also have to take some, you know, dramatic leaps here and there. I don't think that having something that isn't quote unquote historically accurate is a, is negates something. And it's also, we're not supposed to be learning facts from these yes. books, at least in my mind. Well, yeah, and I think also with the historical accuracy, it's like obviously being – it's a coded language for something like pretty sinister, I think, ultimately. And also there are historical inaccuracies that you are very willing to overlook. I mean the one that people always bring up is that there were that many like handsome young dukes with full sets of teeth. Yes. Which like I don't know if you've looked around the dukes now – they're not that great yes. <laughs> looking for the most part. We had like one good one and then he went to Canada. So, I, you know, I think it's it, like that's the thing that frustrates me, too, because it's like, are, are you a scholar in the Regency? I also the same. It's like I want to read for new stories and I want to read for an exciting story about two people falling in love. That's why I'm here. And it makes it more interesting if it's maybe somebody from a different background or somebody who just sees the world a little bit differently, then that's an added bonus to any book that I read. Cause ultimately if you're just reading the same books about the same people going to the same balls, it just gets really yeah. boring mm-hmm. yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's the thing too. We, we get all in arms about the historical accuracy thing. And at the end of the day, we are still talking about a fiction genre fiction, you yeah. know, like we're still talking about stuff that we're making up and it, we can talk about how, you know, oh, this contemporary is unrealistic. It's still fiction. You know, we can talk about this, how this historical Regency book is, is unrealistic, too. It's, it's still fiction. You don't necessarily have to judge it against, and we don't judge it against what's real. The other thing is, you know, like, yeah, with the Dukes and all this, I do remember reading, like, one of the first series I also read in my, you know, second period of reading romance was was uh, the Sinsters, um, the Stephanie Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And, like, in those books, like, the whole family, all the men are, like, super tall and super handsome. And it's, like, and there are, like, like a bajillion of them. And all of the people who they're they're you know, sisters, Mary, they're all also, everybody's like tall and handsome. It's like, well, who's left? You like, there must be like two short people left in all of the entire time. This is like, like, how is this realistic? I know, you know? Where's the third Helmsworth brother? <laughs> yes, we know exactly. he exists. Yes. And he's not quite up to the level. It's okay though. But like, you know, it's like, okay, they're everybody, everybody has their hair a little bit longer than it's supposed to be. Everybody <laughs> has great teeth. Everybody has muscles. So actually everybody looks great according to our standards. Like I I don't understand where everybody else is. Like there's nobody else actually. There's nobody else left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we your your current series that you're you're writing does actually tackle probably the most important subject of anything that we've talked about, which is New York real estate, <laughs> oh, which you. must always be accurate, uh, completely, <laughs> like pri- down to pricing, down to all of those things. But um, what made you want to write about such an important subject <laughs> that is New York real estate? Well, you know, first of all, I think like all New Yorkers, like there are. There are about like three things that we talk about. One is, you know, the weather and the other one is, I don't know. How much we hate the MTA. The MTA. (laughs) And the third one is the real estate. Like, Mm -hmm. 
it is our the thing that unites us. Um, so, you know, I have gone through many, you know, conversations, many dinners and, and parties and just any sort of social gathering, just talking about nothing else, basically. Why would we talk about our love lives or anything like that when we could talk about real estate? Yes. Um, the other thing is, like, uh, for when I was researching my first series, Practice Perfect, it was set in Portland. Um, for a while, the only thing I ever did really when it came to research was look at the real estate in Portland. And to the point where I told my husband, we're moving here. <laughs> and he said, we're moving to the place where your characters live. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, maybe I shouldn't have suggested you <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now I'm in Portland for some reason. And so I thought, okay, well, I can, I can, I can balance this out. I can look at some New York real estate too, you know, like hardship here. <laughs> so, um, so I, I basically, you know, was like, okay, let's look on Street Easy. Let's see what we can buy. Let's see what we can we, we, we could rent or, you know, and, and it became a lot more important to me than like basically anything else for a while. <laughs> yeah, and, we've all been. This is how I relax at this <laughs> point. You know, it's like by looking at real estate in places like, you know, the city that I actually live in and also in the cities that I want people to live in apparently. So, um, so I think at some point I like I was telling people I don't know why I'm writing romance about people when I'm more in love with real estate basically. <laughs> um, were you like I should get my real estate license? Did it ever go that far? Or you were just like no, I can't make my dream my day job. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did. I did not think that, but I did um, end up sort of like doing a lot of mortgage calculations and being like maybe I should move here. Like, and you know this is. And every day, basically, you know, this is another thing that I would say to my husband. So um, the other thing is, like, I also had a lot of friends who are urban planners. Mm. And so I was like, you know, I, I have been on those tours of the city where they are just like pointing out every single blade of grass in every single building and saying, you know, this wasn't here before. And, you know, this is really revitalized the neighborhood. And, and it's, it's actually a really great way to learn the city. Love I'd to love go on that. one of those yes. tours with you. That sounds, I loved that part of playing house oh, too. Absolutely. Yeah, it was so great. I love, yeah. They actually, they, they, you know, were telling me all about um, the Highline before it became you know the Highline Park but they also had taken me on a tour of Roosevelt Island mm. um and you know which is I I don't know if it explain what it is listeners yeah. outside of the city <laughs> um it, it's just this really thin strip um of an island in the East River and um on one part of it is um you know residential areas on the set the other sort of more abandoned part and now it's not anymore an abandoned part but like Back then, when I was looking at it, it was like the site of a former uh, tuberculosis asylum or sanitarium. I don't remember, but like yeah. typhoid Mary was there. Exactly. Yes. Fascinating. And so they were telling me all the exploits of how they'd sort of like broken in, basically, and climbed through it and and looked at it. And I was like, I "This love your sounds great." Yeah. Yeah. I am not brave enough, and I can't be arrested. But <laughs> tell me all about this. What's um, the rent? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, so, so basically, you know, at a certain point I was like, I don't know what I'm going to write about anymore. I guess I'm just going to just give up and, you know, become a herpetologist. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but then I thought, you know, I, I'll just write this purely fantasy thing about, you know, real estate. And that's how this whole thing came about. What was the question again? 
No, it was just like, <laughs> what made you want to write about okay. real estate? And, and you just answered it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I still, I still think I kind of want to write about it more, to tell yeah. you the truth. Because, like, it's, it's just endlessly fascinating, I think. And I think that, you know, like, there are a lot of Instagram accounts that I follow, for instance. Like, there's one called Cheap Old Houses. I've talked this mm. up so much. But, like, I am obsessed with it. Basically, it's like houses under $100,000 in the United States and sometimes in like Italy and in Canada and and elsewhere and and they are amazing and every single story in in this Instagram is just like it's pictures of the rooms and every single one of them is like its own story it's they're like some of them have beautiful old woodwork or else some of them are just sort of like a little bit abandoned you know like like little bits of broken glass here. And you think, what happened here? What is going on? Could I move to Iowa? I think it's going to happen. What is the population like? I guess I'm Googling this now. I guess I'm actually thinking about this. I, you know, like it, it, it's actually really fast for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I feel like your partner is like, feels like he's married to like a journeyman football player or something like, so. well, we're moving to Atlanta now. <laughs> I think at some point I characterized our relationship as like, he, he is like Jeeves and I'm like Bertie Wooster. I have all these like nutty ideas <laughs> for things I'm going to do. And he's like, yes, sir. Of course, sir. You know, like, he just knows, like, I can just wait this out, like yes. I've waited it out before, yeah. and she'll find something else. So, find something else, exactly. You have a book coming out. I do. Can you let us know a little bit about it? This book is called House Rules. Um, it is about a di- long-divorced couple who end up in um, living in a, an apartment together again, once again, mm-hmm living together because New York city rent is very high. Mm. Um, and too damn high, too damn high. (laughs) And I feel like, you know, in this city, sorry, we're talking about it again. Um, everybody has kind of a story like this or, or that they've heard a story like it where people end up who are exes end up living together or else, you know, like you, Oh, I lived with my ex for, Almost a year. Yeah. Because we moved. I moved from Soho to Brooklyn with this person. And then we broke up two months later. <laughs> but we couldn't afford to move anywhere. So we lived together for another year. Mm. But we are still friends. And it was actually the best case scenario because we were very friendly the whole time. But it's still not the best thing for either of our, I guess, social lives, if you will. But. Yeah, and this city is so rich with that kind of story, that kind of tension. Like, like I don't have, like, a ton of horror stories, but I've definitely, you know, seen apartments where there's a bathtub in the kitchen, you know, or else, you know, been places where, where you know, you, you just end up compromising a lot, basically, so that you can live here. Um, and, and I feel like that's really rich grounds for for you know, stories. Um, so it, it, it's, it's really just endlessly fascinating to me how real estate sort of ends up, um, turning our lives around a little bit. You know, they're the people who have just like kept on to held on to like jobs, for instance, because I don't know, they have a job with the university and if they quit that job, then they can't, you know, get that university housing anymore. For instance, it's like the golden handcuffs. Do I sort of progress or, in, in, in my career or do I just sort of like stay for the cheap rent, you know, that mm. kind of thing. So I love that. I, I, I just, 
I love hearing all your terrible stories. Yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> I love it. So that book is Second Chance Romance. It's a second Chance Romance. Force Proximity. Yeah. And um, the characters are both over 40. Oh, I love that. And oh, there's an asshole cat in it. Um, love cats. So... You know, it, it's got basically everything you could want. <laughs> when is it out? When can people get it? It is out. On I mean, pre-order now. Of course. Pre-order always. Link in the show notes. Yes. Actually, you know, by the time this airs, it, it, it's out on February 10th. So Monday. Oh. Yeah. Great. It's out now, guys. Go get yeah. it. Great Valentine's Day gift. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All three Uptown books come out May 26th in paperback and digital as a collection. Mm. Great. And it has a, a new cover and everything, and I'm really excited about all these covers. So basically, you know, even if you don't like the contents, the covers are really great. <laughs> you do have great covers. Those oh, covers you. are really cute. Yeah. I love them. And I I'm not a cartoon them. cover big fan, but I liked all of those. I thought they were really good. Um, are you doing any appearances for any of the books or? Um, I will be at the Bronx Book Festival um, in June um, on a panel about books, romances set in New York City. Ooh. I know. <laughs> um, I'll be with uh, Quana Jackson. She'll be talking about her Real Men Knit series, which I believe is set in Harlem, and I'm really excited about it. And with Kate Claiborne. Love Kate. Love, later, mm-hmm. love lettering. Excellent. I love it. So oh, that's anyways, such a good. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. We have to get Quana Jackson on here, and then we have yes. had everybody from that panel on our. It's so important. Uh, yes, that is big. And she's great, too. Yeah, yeah, she I is so her. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So, how can people find you, find out more about you? I am all over the Twitters. <laughs> I am so on Twitter. I am at Rube Lang, Rube.Lang, I think. Oh, God, I don't remember. Anyway, um, also, you can, I have a website. It's uh, rubylangwrites.com. I'm on Instagram at rubylang, I think. Maybe it's ruby.lang. <laughs> Just try a bunch of things. You'll you find me. Ruby Lang, she'll <laughs> yeah. be there. Um, and I'm on Facebook. Um, you know, I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you have a fan page or it's just you? It's it's just me. It's me. <laughs> there's also there's a fan page, but like you know, tumbleweeds go across the page. Yeah. Basically, it's like I don't know. I'm not on. So Facebook for up to date information yes. on the Twitter, on the Twitter, Instagram, yes. yeah, Are and also all- just you know, just just write to me. I don't care. Just I'm I'm here. I'll chat with you. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> Are you lip syncing any songs on TikTok? Oh my god! <laughs> I wish I'm too old for that, though. I really am. I'm decrepit, so you know, just know that. Yeah. I'm gonna write in all caps because that's how Granny's writing. <laughs> well, this was so much fun. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you so much. Thank for, you. This is amazing. For schlepping all the way down here. It was wonderful. Yeah. Because the MTA, we know how it is on a weekend. <laughs> I'm sure it was awful. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, this was so much fun. I couldn't think of a better person to spend Valentine's Day with. Ah, yes. So. I love you all. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, all right. So everybody, check out Ruby Lang. Check out the house series. What's, what's it called? Is Uptown. It oh, Uptown series. Uptown. <laughs> check out the Uptown series so you can get it as a box set. Give it to someone you love. Read it yourself. Mm-hmm. 
All right, thanks so much. Thank you. This is wonderful. Well, and Aaron, real quick, where can they find us? Uh, uh, I always forget this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. Um, as always, we have our Facebook group, The Learning the Tropes Troop. Come join us there. Uh, and then n- for next week, we are watching, not reading, uh, To All the Boys I Loved Before. P.S. I Still Love You. So that will be out. So watch that. And we'll see you there. We'll chat about it. And then finally, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcast. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.